Welcome to Sober Holly, a podcast about Christian recovery, where each week we explore topics that can free you from bondage and strengthen your relationship with God, others, and yourself. Now, your show hosts, Roger and Jason. I got to tell y'all a story today to start this thing off. This happened to me this weekend, guys, and I should not say this on air. I should not do this. Well, don't, don't say it. <laughs> okay. Right off the get-go recording, he's been saying, you know, I can't dig you out when we're doing these videos. And so this is what happened. Um, I've been trying to lose weight, Art, and um, what we what we started doing was I realized that like every, every time me and my wife would go out, it would be revolved around food, right? Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, we're not going to – we had the weekend – just me and, and the wife, no kids around. And, you know, you take advantage of that. Well, we didn't go out to eat. And so we said, all right, let's go out and get a massage. And uh. I was like, this would be cool, be relaxing, be something different we don't normally do. And now I've had a massage before, but this time we couldn't find nowhere for us both to go. So we went to one of these little Asian massage places. And I don't want to hear it. I see your smile over already. Smile. It was nothing. It was nothing. I mean, me and her went into the same room, right? And he had a massage done. Couples massage. Exactly. And so we were in there doing this, and do y'all have, like, rough feet? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Like, pretty callous. I know you run, so I know you've got – So I've got these callous feet, too. And I'm used to, like, a masseuse, you know, like, giving you a massage across your back. Well, this little Asian lady who was just, like, 5'2", little bitty thing, she jumped up on the table with me and was, like, massaging my legs. I don't think a whole lot about it. It was weird, but, I mean, she was, like, up on the table with me giving giving me this massage. Well, she was, like, doing, like, my upper part of my leg – and when she, <laughs> when she went to get back down off the table, the side of my foot grabbed a hold of her shirt, like where the callus was on my foot. <laughs> Uh-oh. And, and it caught it. Like, it like got a fish getting hung up in a fish net. <laughs> she couldn't break loose, and she starts talking to her partner that's in there. It was an embarrassing moment, to say the nice. least. Yeah. So, you know, what did y'all do this weekend? Right. Hey, huh? <laughs> Not that. <laughs> Well, I t- you know, this is co- cool for me for a lot of reasons because, uh, one, like I said, it's the first recorded show we've done, but um, to get to talk to Art, Art Wimberly. Art, man, you do a lot of cool things around, and one of the things I know that you're a recovery coach, and you, mm-hmm. um, I guess you're founder and CEO, can I say that, of Thrive Ministries? Yeah, that's correct, yeah, Thrive Birmingham. Thrive Birmingham, and that, yeah. you got to make sure you get Birmingham, right? There's another Thrive around. There is another Thrive around, so, so thrive this is Thrive Birmingham, Birmingham yeah. And and what is it that you do there? Well, there's a couple of things. Primarily, I do recovery coaching with individuals or with couples or with families. And involved in that is often, besides coaching, there's often a counseling aspect to that as well. And I also do some training with folks on various aspects of recovery, uh, both 12-step training. and But also very interested in do a lot of personal work uh, with folks with the Enneagram of personality as well. And that's what we get to talk about today. Uh, I had never heard of the Enneagram other until when we first started doing this podcast, Jason and his wife Dakota mentioned it to me. And the first time I saw this Enneagram shape, I said, this is devil worship stuff. Yeah, it that, looked like a pentagram. Yeah, that's pretty common. The two hexagrams make a, what looks like a pentagram, and it scares people. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, this is crazy. And then he, yeah. he started telling me more about it, and I was like, and as I read more about it, I was like, Man, this is kind of cool. Uh, and so, uh, 
that's what I wanted to talk to you a little bit about is what is an Enneagram? Yeah, uh, well, it's it's an ancient form of wisdom that uh, seems to have traveled around orally only for thousands of years and seems to kind of disappear and then reappear. It's very difficult for historians and users of the Enneagram to really pin down the original source of it. Uh, some think it may have had a source in Greek philosophy with Plato. Uh, some have seen traces of it in uh, the Desert Father of the 4th century, the Christian of Agrius of Pontus. Uh, so there's a lot of different strands that have come through to the current time uh, through this thing called Enneagram. But what it is, it's, it's a very powerful, very elegant system of mapping personalities out in individuals, uh, personalize it to such an extent that it helps us begin to see a lot of why we do the things we do, why our patterns keep repeating, which, of course, is very much uh, a lot of the work of recovery itself and a lot of work of the gospel, as a matter of fact, right? Sanctification, right? Yeah. Well, a lot of the books I've read relate it back to our, our, our faith in Christ and how it relates with that. Well, it, what's been fascinating to me, I first heard of the Enneagram over a decade ago. Uh, and knew about the system, knew what it stood for, but never did the deep individual work until just a few years ago. And the deeper I've done my own work in it and then begun to help other people, the more I see the overlays of this universal truth that we see in the Gospels and with people coming to faith and then uh, gradually growing into the image of Christ. And a lot of what Christ spoke about was this, this truth that, in a sense, you had to lose yourself to find yourself. And it wasn't the true self he was telling us to lose. It was the false self that none of us knew we had crafted around ourselves. Right. And so the overlays are beautiful, and the truths keep ringing out in all of these systems. And so it's been a great add-on for me uh, to supplement my recovery and my faith and to grow deeper in the knowledge of my Creator. So how would this differ from, say, the, the Myers-Briggs personality typing system yeah that's a great question myers-briggs and things like it in like disc uh, if you've ever done a disc test uh, those things are really good at describing personality types giving them names and descriptions and even a little bit of help in perhaps how to relate with other people which is all good the, the great thing about Enneagram work is it's very dynamic and it's very spiritual in the sense that it not only tells you about your personality and even gives you some clues and some hints to how it might have formed, but it also gives you a pathway back, a dynamic spiritual pathway back to how God created you to be. Mm. And then, so if somebody's like, I've never even heard of the Enneagram, this sounds interesting, you know, discovering why it is the way I act, the way I do, and uh, trying to trying to find out more about those 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 motivations behind my actions. Where would you suggest that they start? Uh, great question. There's uh, a couple of really foundational places I would say that are trustworthy uh, because as we're beginning to see uh, those of us that uh, heard about Enneagram and then are talking about it more, the more we talk about it, the more we're hearing other people going, "Yeah, I've heard of that." or I've actually been studying that, we're kind of surprised. And so there's a lot out there on the Internet and a lot of books about it. Some are more reliable than others. One of the basic places I think that is really dependable is the Enneagram Institute. So if people will Google Enneagram Institute, um, Don Riso and Ross Hudson were the two folks that founded that. Uh, Mr. Riso's passed away since then. 
But to me, they have one of the basic repositories of the knowledge. Very sound. Uh, there's good practical information on there for free, and then you can go deeper and deeper with there. Uh, one of the best books, uh, two best books written on it, uh, one comes from them called The Wisdom of the Enneagram. It's like the Encyclopedia Britannica. It's got everything you kind of need to know in a basic form about all the types and instincts and wings and so forth, and and some great practical uh, spiritual experiential knowledge as well. Uh, a new book last year is called Sacred Enneagram, which is by Chris Hertz, and it's one of the better ones I've ever read. Uh, he's a great teacher, a very practical in the way he lays it out, but also is willing to go into depth spiritually in the process as well. And there are many, many other good ones. The one that I have been reading for the last two years is called Becoming Conscious by Dr. Joseph Howell, and he's a native Alabamian, uh, but also a practitioner of the Enneagram for 25 years or so, and a deep thinker and and quite a spiritual leader as well. So I read the Sacred Enneagram, and I think, Roger, you read The Road Back, the to, road you. back to You. Yeah. I found the Sacred Enneagram was very readable. It wasn't... You know, it was it was a quick read. I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't deep. It was deep, and it, and it really helped me understand the depth of the Enneagram. One question I, I had as I was reading it is, why do you think so many Christian believers have latched on to the Enneagram the way they have? That's a great question. Um, I think for me what it did was it added another adept to this idea of self-awareness and God-awareness and others' awareness that I first got in the 12 steps. Uh, in fact, if you've worked the steps and you're coming through, you know, four and five, it's that beginning of getting uh, right with God, yourself, and others. And Enneagram seemed to have one of the best explanations and and pathways to go deeper to my own self-awareness, which then brought compassion for me, but then brought compassion for other people. The more I could become to know about my own self-awareness in light of who God is and who I am, the more it began to give me a sense of compassion for other people because I could see they're struggling just like I do. And Paul in Galatians 5 says the goal of all faith is love. In fact, I think what he's saying is if if the way you're doing faith isn't producing love in you and for other people, then you probably ought to stop doing it that way. And so I've been fortunate from the beginning, the teachers I've had locally and the ones that I've connected to from a broader perspective have all said one thing and one thing only. If the Enneagram work you're doing doesn't increase your compassion for yourself, but for other people, then you're not doing it right. Because as I've been thinking about, you know, other people and then especially some of my closer friends who you know have have went the extra step of actually typing themselves and then telling me you know it's really kind of helped me to understand them on a level that I never did before Mm -hmm. and especially you know with my marriage you know understanding my wife's number and her understanding my number man it's really it's it's helped me to to understand why she acts the way she does. And I'm sure vice versa. Um, and it's really, 
on my end, I don't know about hers, but it's, it's relieved a lot of tension for me. Yeah. I, I think that's the biggest thing for most people when they start out is especially in close relationships, whether it's marriages, friendships, work teams, or whatever it might be, those unavoidable conflicts that we all seem to have, especially the deeper the relationship and why we keep getting into the same kinds of conflicts and why we keep repeating the same behaviors around those conflicts And what Enneagram did for me, as you said, was give me a deeper understanding of myself and my repeated patterns, but also gave me uh, some insight into, for instance, my wife. Uh, She types out at a one, which in, uh, and and as most of you guys know, yeah, there's a cheer in here because we got, we got two ones in here, which if I could have gone back and showed you how they were going through the setup for this thing, I could have, yeah, their, their oneness was coming out. And, uh, I'm like, Hey guys, let's just get going. Can we okay. talk or what? Yeah. Cause I'm a seven. So oh, all I want to do is turn the mic on. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. We, those I are don't the, care what we're talking about. Just yeah. turn it on. Dude. Yeah. It's gotta be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's an interesting combination, especially for me and Carrie, my wife, because, uh, she identifies with that space called one. And for some that are new to Enneagram, the numbers might throw you off. Like is a seven better than a two or of course not. The reason they use numbers really to start with is because they're neutral in value. And so we don't make a value judgment on whether your number's better or worse or whatever. But, um, uh, the theory just simply says that God in his creativity his uh, his his love of uniqueness and diversity and his wisdom and his sovereignty creates people in different types with different and as a matter of fact if we were to look at the gifts of the spirit we're real big in the church of talking about how everybody has some gifting but each of us has something special in that list that we were built or uh, that resonates with us. That's our gift. That's mm-hmm. how we. That's yeah. how we love the world back, right? That's how. That's, that's how we Paul that talks about how some are the hands, some are the feet, and, and so forth and so on. Yeah. And so we're all a little different, the, but we all make it up. That's right. We all have certain things in common for sure. That's part of being human. But it seems that God, in because of His love for creativity, perhaps because of a wisdom that we don't quite understand yet, He did make us different, both in our body types, but also in our emotional types. And apparently in the way we think as well. And he has his purposes for that. We can guess at them. We don't know them all. But it seems like the Enneagram at least helps us identify and look at. So maybe I was wired this way for a reason. And then maybe we would say in the fall or by sin nature. And then perhaps uh, wounding as a child or what I perceived as wounds or family of origin issues or whatever. Over time, as a small child, we began to form a persona, uh, and little by little, we kind of wrap up the essence of what God really created us to be. And most of us have to find a way to protect ourselves in the world or promote ourselves in the world or depending on the, any given moment, which way we're going. And eventually, with, without knowing it, what we've created for ourselves as a persona or a personality is not really who we are. We've wrapped up a lot and covered up a lot of who God really intended us to be. But if you're like most people, the persona can actually work pretty well, at least until it doesn't. And at some point we keep bumping into some things and depending on how stubborn we are, or maybe, uh, uh, what we're, how we're surrounded by a lot of resources and maybe not a lot of handicaps, we can keep going and we can keep going. In fact, the truth is many of us have benefited from those personalities because some of us got paid really highly for being overly stubborn. 
Uh, some of us are, are really affirmed uh, and liked because we're the life of the party. Some of us maybe because we overhelp too much. Uh, and so those things can actually serve us well for a while again until they don't. Uh, or maybe we run into a brick wall or maybe we hit a shock point. Well, I think one of the things that happened to me after I heard about the Enneagram from you guys is I started reading about it. That's the thing I normally do is when I have an interest in something, I start trying to read about it because I saw that even when we had lunch a few weeks ago, y'all seemed to have a talking knowledge of it, and I didn't. So I, I opened up a few books, and The Road Back to You was one of them. And as I taught myself, as we were just talking about, I found out I was a one. Well, here's what I, I what this spoke to me about was that I've spoke to my wife on many occasions and even some people at my church and said, I just don't understand because I seem different than everybody else. I feel like nobody understands me. I've even told people at church that I'm just tired of going against the grain because I just felt like I was in a world and I was the only one there. And then Jason and I started doing this show together. And I was like, you may be the only person I've ever met that thinks like I think. And this is before the Enneagram, right? Yeah. And so then as I start reading this, we begin to talk to each other and say we're both ones. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I type myself as, if that's what you call that, is is typing it. But as I read through what a one looked like, it was me. You know, I'm a rule follower. I, I like the structure that comes with those things. And then I said... You know, part of that is I think that's the anger triad. Is that how you? That's say exactly that? right. Eight nines and ones are in what's called the anger triad, um, and th- that can be difficult to kind of the concept for a moment because uh, most nines, if you know anybody that's ever identified with the ego space of a nine, they typically seem to be the people that are the nicest and the least angry. So it's not so much about necessarily how they do anger; it's how they may not do anger as well. Yeah. For me, like I even told uh, Jason a couple of times, I'm not like an angry person all the time. I don't walk around with resentments, but I've seen when I'm unhealthy, I'm very resentful. Like I can hold to a resentful, a resentment more than anybody can. Mm -hmm. And as I read through a couple of these books, it would tell you how a, a, a one would look healthy and then, you know, maybe average and then unhealthy. That's right. And I would start going, wow. The times I've looked like where I've been ready to leave my church or leave my wife or whatever right. it may be, I'm like, I'm so unhealthy. I can look at myself yeah. and say, this that was me at that point. Yeah, they, they've identified you as you've kind of spiraled down in for whatever that day or week or season. Yeah, that's one of the, to me, that's been one of the biggest payoffs for doing my own Enneagram work was this idea of beginning to see how I operate in a, in an average or an unhealthy range. And when I'm doing that, I'm not fulfilling my purpose in life. I'm not blessing the world or, or my wife or people. I'm either cursing it or I'm at best, I'm neutral to it, right? I'm, I'm not fulfilling that for which God created me for. So that's been a, that's been a big part of it. Now it's important, I think, for us to pause and, and say this, that even if we get it right when we, as you said, type ourselves, when we identify that space that says, okay, that's for me, I identify as an ego type seven. It's important for us to know that we're not our number. We're not even supposed to become the best of that number. And it's even important to know, we'll talk a little bit about perhaps integrating to another space and to grow. Okay. So for instance, as a one who identifies as an ego type seven, I integrate down to the space of the five, but it's on, as you said, the healthy and the high side of the five. That's where my essence really 
lives. That's where, in essence, my soul child was created by God is down there. Use the analogy of the stadium that you were talking about okay. the other day. I think that would be helpful. Yeah, and you've, we've probably heard this used in different uh, uh, areas before about this idea of a stadium, but it's one of the ways that one of my teachers talks about it a lot. So, this is I grew up all my life, Birmingham, Alabama. So, when you talk about a big stadium or a sports arena, it's Legion Field for me, right? It's it's different for a lot of people. But if you go out to Legion Field in the old days, you had a ticket and you had to go through uh, a gate or a portal. And I think that back then they had like 29 or 30 of them, right? And so, the way we think about it is this. God created certain people in this world, a certain percentage of people that identified and said, you know, I, I, I'm going to go through portal seven, gate seven. And so me and a bunch of other people went into the stadium through gate seven. Or, or And then we went in. But when we got in, guess what? There's different sections for that gate, right? There may be three or four sections. And guess what? There's different rows within those sections. And guess what? There's different seats. So by the time I got into the stadium, even though I'm with my seven people, right? I've got a little bit different angle than they do on life. I'm sitting in a different level. I've got a little different angle. I've got different people next to me. I've got a lot of different, but I'm still in with my sevens. Mm, So we've got a lot of things in common, but even so we're still unique and we still have different things to bring to the table. Okay. Same thing for all the other types, right? They still got into the stadium. They identified that number that said, that sounds like me. I think I'll go sit with those people. And it's kind of like you guys said, then you eventually have conversations with somebody who figured out, okay, I'm a one or I'm, and you start talking, you're like, yeah, they get me. Right. Right. They're thinking the same way I'm thinking. We got the same view from up, from up here or over on this section. Yeah. Right. But we, we're, we're still different. We're still unique. We've had different life experiences. There are different ways we think, but boy, there's a resonancy. There's something in my DNA that God created in me that makes me think really similarly to these folks. Right. Well, even with the, like me and Jason both identify as a one, mm-hmm. as we look at it, I, I believe we hadn't talked a lot about this, but you know, they talk about a wing. Yeah. And for me, I would be more like a one with a two wing where I think he is more of a one with a nine wing. So we both have this different flavor yes. to our lives. That's right. Look a little different. You know? yeah, that's right. And you know, you, you, we can get impact from either side. When you talk about wing in Enneagram theory, it always means the number that resides on each side of the one I've typed myself. So if y'all are ones and you've got a nine on one side and then you've got a two on the other, you probably have some impact from both sides, but most people tend to lean more into the energy of one or the other. And if you're listening to this, uh, just think that a nine's on the side of a one. It don't make a lot of sense. Yeah. But if you Google uh, Enneagram, yeah. uh, it, it would show you the little chart yeah. that we've talked about that people think look like a pentagram at times, but it, it's really not. It would help you understand. Yeah, think of, think of a clock face with just nine numbers with nine in the space of the 12 at the top. And then the other numbers around it is what we're looking at. And Enneagram itself is, is a pretty simple explanation. Ennea just is Greek for nine and gram just means a, a sphere or a, a graphic explanation. So the circle uh, is, was really, they, we believe was used just as many other spiritual um, movements all through time have done. The circle means completeness or wholeness or truth. Okay. So, uh, in Hebrew, it'd be Shalom. Okay. So everything that exists and needs to be is in there in that circle. Think of a wedding band, right? Same thing. So, and then, and then within that, you see the triangle. Well, the triangle, as far as we know from math and physics and from history is the most basic fundamental and solid structure ever created by man. 
So that triangle's in the middle of that circle, which represents wholeness, and it represents the three main points, the nine, the three, and the six. And in if you talk to a lot of Enneagram uh, who have a faith in Christ, they will say that those represent faith, hope, and love. And well, so, what about the Trinity? Yeah. I'm just kidding. Well, I just wanted and, to bring the Trinity in well, somehow. And, well, you, you're going to see it a lot with Enneagrams because there's all these different triads or trinities that keep appearing. You brought one up a minute ago. The 891 is the body triad and is also known as the anger triad. Okay, It doesn't mean the rest of the numbers don't struggle with anger. We do. It's a universal. But then you get into the twos, threes, and fours. It's a triad of its own that's called the heart or the, or the emotion triad, but they deal more with shame and guilt. Again, every number deals with shame and guilt. And then you get in the five, six, and seven, which is the triad I'm in. And um, it's the mind. In other words, um, five, six, and sevens generally do life as much as they can through their mind. Okay. Whereas eights, nines, and ones try to do it. They would rather do it through their instinct if possible, even though they're not aware of it. Twos, threes, and fours generally do it through their feelings and emotions in some way. So I'm in, I'm in that five six seven, and the struggle with five six and seven is the predominant struggle is fear. But again, every person ever born, no matter how they type themselves, struggles with all of those things. Sure. One of the things that that spoke to me the loudest is is I've been studying what little bit I've studied. I mean, I feel so uneducated sitting with you guys at this table talking about this. But is I've always I've kind of always just kind of been a natural leader. Um, I don't want to be arrogant when I say that, but even in the military, I just kind of did that in the military. I was just a leader, and I've always tried to make people form to to what I wanted them to be, almost like I wanted them to be like me. And there's always a lot of people that just do not conform to the way I want them to be, and this has kind of explained why they don't do that. Oh, Roger, that's that's why you're in recovery. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why we all got in recovery. People won't do what we tell them. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, but even with authority, you want them to do it a certain way. Yes. And some people just don't do it the way that you do it. Um, yeah. And it's just been, I mean, it's been eye-opening for me. Like everybody I've been around, even in my recovery meetings, they're tired of me talking about an Enneagram here lately. Yeah. Well, again, because you've identified that one ego space, uh, the resonancy of of all ones, no matter what their other personality quirks are like, the resonancy that's within a one that vibrates within that they cannot help is this idea that they're the standard bearer for right and wrong. And again, I'll just share personally, my wife wouldn't mind telling you, she identifies with ego type one. And, um, but I'm always right. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> I'll argue that to no end. No, and I'm man. like, that makes no, so really. much sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and here's, the, here's the thing. I've known her 30 years. This week we'll be married 27 years. And the truth is, dadgummit, she's almost always right. Now, it's not that she's right about data or current events or math or anything like that. She just has a built-in resonancy that vibrates in the, between what's right, the way you do things right, and the way you do things wrong. And when she's really healthy, you know, when she's awake and aware and healthy, when she's done her recovery work, she can use that to bless the world beyond belief. You wouldn't believe how she blesses individuals, teams of people, organizations. The world gets blessed with it. But she would be the first to tell you through her recovery work she saw that when she's not awake, not conscious, not living in the present, 
and down in that average or below average, right, unhealthy area, then the residency becomes rigid and inflexible, and she becomes uh, self-critical and then judgmental and hypercritical of other people. I got to tell you all quick, this is one of the funniest things, the cutest and sweetest things that's happened since I began studying the Enneagram. Um, so we have some relatives, and and one of them has been studying it as well, doing a lot of deep work for herself. And um, so uh, they were over visiting, and she has a seven-year-old daughter. And the daughter was listening to the adults talk through it that night around the table. And the daughter said, uh, hey, type me. Okay, type me. So we thought, well, we'll we'll work through it with her. We'll change the questions and bring it down to a seven-year-old's level and walk through it. And we did the things, and it came, kind of came pretty clear pretty quick that we were dealing with a one, okay? <laughs> if not, then uh, she's a three on steroids about the right and wrong thing, but <laughs> but kind of, kind of feels like a lot of one-ish in there, you know? And so we had fun with it and played with it, and everybody went to bed the next morning. We got up, and her little brother, who's who's a couple of years younger, about five, and he's a force of nature. I mean, he is he is nature boy. I mean, the sweetest, the cutest, the the roughhousingest, just all boy. And he's out in the porch with me while the adults are getting up, and we're talking, and he's cutting up and playing around and asking questions. And then his sister comes out, walks over, sits down, and says, "Hey, I, I'm serious. We really got to get this type thing down for me." Like I, th- I said, I think right, that right there just told us we already got it right, the, the one, right? So, so she says, no, I really, I really want to make sure we're right about this. <laughs> so, so I said, okay, I'll, let me run through some different questions. Well, in the meantime, the five-year-old, the brother, is, is spread out on the coffee table, on the porch, laying, looking up at the sun, listening to the birds. I think he's paying no attention at all. So I said, okay, and I start. First question, okay, so rules are really important to you, and you think people should obey them. She goes, oh, yeah, that's me. I said, okay. Second question, um, you like to get everything just as perfect as possible, and when you can't, you get frustrated maybe even angry. She says, oh, yes, that's me. And then third question, okay, so when you can't be perfect yourself, you tend to turn it outwards and try to make everybody else perfect. And the five-year-old goes, oh, yeah, that's her. That's <laughs> <laughs> good. I'm five years old. Yeah. If I had that Man. recorded, I'd never have to teach Enneagram. <laughs> yeah. It was so sweet. It was so tr- But it was so true. Okay. Now, five-year-old, he had no clue what we were talking about. But he heard his sister answering yes to a description that matched her. And he goes, oh, yeah, that's her. That's because her. he has either benefited depending on how you look at it or been cursed by the way she wants him to act. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Well, one thing that I've noticed is that, um, I saw myself in a lot of those different numbers, you know, yep. it wasn't just like, Oh, none of these other ones really relate to me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of characteristics I would pull out of a seven that yep. would say me, but as I read, there's a stress and a security points. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that what you call those? Mm-hmm. And if a one's healthy, you kind of take on the traits of a healthy seven. Am I saying that right? That That's accurate. Yeah. But I, think about it this way. If we were to go back to the beginning um, and we were to tell the story that Genesis one and two tells about the creation and we were to think about this idea that God, perhaps he created a certain percentage of people to have kind of this leaning toward the toward that one rightness. 
or toward the seven's joy and flexibility and optimism, okay? And you're, you're right. Every one of us does contain a seed of what's the healthy description of all nine, okay? We, we've got all of that in us. And I guess that's one you keep saying, completeness. Yeah, because we're completeness all part of and wholeness. Circle, the wholeness. Right. And, but it was, we believe that in his, again, in his wisdom, his sovereignty, his creativity, and for his own purposes, he also made one of those things really resonate with a certain percentage of people, okay, for his purposes and his reasons. Again, you may trace them to the to the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, or even Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 when he walks through the love chapter, and you, you can actually kind of see them in there too, right there. It doesn't mean we don't have the ability to have a little bit of all those. In fact, we do, but it looks like God created a certain percentage of people to resonate and then act their purpose out with that one particular trait being strong. However, again, we could then say, all right, then something went wrong somewhere. And uh, each individual has struggled since then to actually live out that purpose and that resonance. Okay. And again, we, we call in Christianity, we would call it the fall. Other faith traditions have something similar. Uh, we talk about our sin nature, the flesh, that type of thing. Paul in Romans 7, I know what it is I want to do. That's the thing I don't do in a pattern, right? I know what I don't want to do, and I find myself, who's going to save me from the body? And I don't think he's talking about salvation at that point. I think at that point, he's talking about how do I grow up? How do Mm -hmm. I lose this stuff and get back to who I was? I don't, y'all remember five years ago, uh, there was a a kind of a controversy because Apple paired with the group U2, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden on your iPhone, you got a free album. Yeah. And there was a lot of purists that were like, I'm mad about this. I didn't ask for that album. What is so funny is I have that free track still on my phone yeah. and I've always wondered where it came from. So yeah. you just, yeah. you just yeah. answered yeah. this for me. Yeah. Well, my work, my work is done here. Yeah. But, but if you, the reason I bring it up is this is, is fascinating when you go in there and the, and the album's called songs of innocence. That's one thing. There's, there's another connection to Enneagram there. But if you go, there's a track called Iris on there. And in the lyric of the song uh, that they wrote, it says that once we are born, we begin to forget the very reason we came. And that, that is, that's the Enneagram right there. It's saying that we lost contact with our essence. We lost contact with the uniqueness that God created in us, and we began to layer it over as we grew up without knowing it with this personality thing to get us by. Right. And we lost contact with that. And later in the song, it says, free yourself to be yourself. If you could only see yourself, you would free yourself to be yourself. Hmm. Now, a lot of people come in, like you said, the objection, sometimes you run, especially as a believer, sometimes you run into the Enneagram and one of the things that stops us short, if it's not just the graphic, right, uh, the hex ads that look like right. the penny, you know, if it's not that, then it's, okay, well, this is too much about self. And, and I get that. I understand that. That's one, you know, there's a thing in recovery. There's a recovery arrogance that can come out sometime when we think we've mastered the 12 steps and we're superior to other people, right? And that's a spiritual arrogance. We have to watch out for that because you don't master the 12 steps. They master you. Right. Same thing with the gospel with Jesus. You don't master him. He masters you. Same thing with the Enneagram. The danger in it is if you work it by itself, there's always a danger of arrogance and then and, and it becomes self-centered. Right? But, but with the 12 steps to me, 
it really deflate when I've worked the 12 steps. It's deflated my ego, you know, more than it's increased it. It, I, did, it did mine too. Uh, I share that same experience. But let me tell you an interesting thing that happened after that. Um, I kind of fell back to sleep and the ego got back in control. Yeah. I was just now a sober ego. Right. So do you remember the famous study that Bill Wilson and some of the early guys in AA did that first hundred or so in those early groups? Um, you know, they, they, they took stock. They took another inventory of themselves as a group really about 10 to 15 years later, out of which some of the 12 and 12 came, right? Some of those essays, mm-hmm. they were very insightful because what they saw was, you know, some of us are still sober. And in their case, primarily from alcohol, you know what we've got. A lot of chips. We've got a lot of years. We're st- we ain't, we ain't dry. But, you know, some of us are still acting like little kids. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll use, you know, one of the used words that gets tossed around, you know, acting like an a-hole, you yeah. know. And I still do this with relationships, I'm still, I'm just, but I'm just not drinking. Right. And so that whole idea was born into some of the essays and some of the teaching that we've benefited from through Celebrate Recovery and through other places, this whole idea of there's a difference between sobriety from a behavior and a substance and the, and the difference between that and emotional sobriety, right? right? There's a much deeper depth to that. So I'm like you, deflated my ego, right, to do the work of the fourth and the fifth and then the sixth and the seventh, and then really did it when I had to do eight and nine and mm. then walk nine out, right? And um, But I subtly, very subtly, kind of went back to sleep on myself okay i didn't go back to my behavior you know the sexual sin that had grabbed me for 40 years that was the way i coped with life promoted myself or protected myself however you want to look at it uh i didn't go back into that however the ego kind of got back in control and part of what the ego grasped onto was how well i'd done the 12 steps or now i'm teaching Hmm. the 12 step now i'm sponsoring people and don't get me wrong a lot of my growth, a lot of good came out of that despite me. But still, what I wasn't aware of was the ego's always clamoring to get back into control. Okay. I was just a sober ego. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. So, one of the things an Enneagram teaches us is that um, it's ego that's still trying. Now, d- don't get me wrong, ego in the sense of the way all. A- humans have to have a, develop an ego at some point in early childhood in order to differentiate themselves from their parents or any other human being. The problem is that when the, the ego becomes the prime driver rather than the, the spirit, okay, then that's where we start to get lost. Yeah. Yeah. And for, for me with the Enneagram, you know, the more I've read about it, the deeper it is, it's just like a bottomless pit as far mm-hmm. as discovery. I mean, you've got the instinctual variants and subtypes and wings and all. I mean, it it can get really extensive. But when I was reading that book, what I kept coming back to as far as looking at my own recovery was, man, I, I've done this before. Yes. With the 12 steps, yes. you know, especially with steps four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. I've been on this journey of self-discovery and trying to figure out why it is the the way I do things and why I think the way I do. And here's another tool that I can use in my recovery in order to be able to find to find those those key motivations and those key fears that can help me in my path. Exactly. And so to me, 
when I began doing the depth work with Enneagram, immediately I began, like, like you said, I began noticing the overlays of truth in the two systems, the 12 steps and Enneagram, especially in the, uh, the, the instincts. The, if you do four-step work in 12-step and they, they're going to ask you to do your fears and your resentments and maybe abuse and so forth, then, and then somebody's going to ask you to, to walk through that and then to try to pinpoint, well, which of the three instincts of life did that one puncture for you? Was it your survival or self-preservation instinct? Was it your social instinct? Or was it the sexual or syntonic instinct, which is your one-on-one relational instinct? Which one of these did that incident poke at for you? Which one did it threaten? And when I started doing Enneagram work, they used the same exact three instincts. Well, that can't be coincidence. It's because those truths appear all through life, right? But the point you were making about doing that work and it deflating the ego is a big part of 12-step work is getting the ego in its proper place, right? And But we're always a threat to fall back asleep, to relapse, sure. however you want to call it. It doesn't mean we have to go back to the old substance or the old behavior. We can fall back asleep at any time and let the ego get back in control. Yeah. yeah. And for, for me, when I was – you know, reading that book about the uh, Enneagram, I kind of had thought what you thought. Well, this seems a lot about self. Yeah. But if I'm using the Enneagram as a tool, you know, by no means is it the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. It's not. Right. But I think in using it as a tool, it can help me to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ much more effectively. For instance, if I know as a one that I can become rigid and judgmental, I can be on the lookout for that yep. when I'm, you know, when I'm living my life and I can avoid that pitfall and be able to share the love of Jesus much more effectively. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there, there's also, I think a, another important thing I think to be said is that the, Enneagram, at least by certain teachers, and I've been blessed to have some that are believers uh, and have practiced it for over two decades. Um, and one of the first things they've, they've always told me is that one of the important things in Enneagram work is to do the re-remembering of, uh, to go back and figure out where did I begin to lose contact with the essence. You can't find all the spaces, but it, it's possible to find some of them. And it's taking us back to who God before time created our soul to be before he placed us in a body. And it's taking us back to the purity of what he desired for us before the fall, before uh, my own living life and my own sin and the sins of others and that type of thing. And it's taking me back to an essence that's pure and it's growing, which is what I see in Romans 1 when it talks about being uh, renewed in the image of our creator. Right? We're slowly being brought back to the image of him in us. It just so happens that some of us, there's just a there's a particular residency of a way he planned for us to bless the world. Right? So for my wife in her oneness, uh, her one of her pathways to uh, to growth is to actually and this this is funny because because I'm a seven and she's a one. Her pathway is toward my seven, which almost blew it when when I told her that in the beginning. She was about to buy into it, and she said, "Okay, that kills it. That's it. I was thinking about doing this, but if I got to go toward you, there's no theory in the world." That I said, "No, no, honey, not not my seven. The healthy seven. Oh, okay. Well, maybe, maybe I'll consider. But here's what it means: is that 
in 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 creation she was created not just as one who is a standard bearer for right and wrong but she was also created with joy flexibility optimism right forward thinking somewhere along the line her soul lost connection with some of that and so she overuses the oneness the right and the wrongness right and she gets highly she was highly paid for that as a processor as a as a excuse me as a programmer and a project manager for the rightness and wrong, because there's only mm, one right yeah. way to do that, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. So it served her really well. Right. Her spiritual growth has come through the twelve steps of recovery, right? Mm-hmm. And it's going deeper, even more so with the enneagram, because, like you said, then the self awareness really starts to pop, and then the other's awareness really gets vibrant. And the thing that's done for me is it's realive in scripture. It's given it a new color for me. Yeah. yeah, and then with the gospel. Just your understanding of the gospel and your view of the gospel, I, I can see how reading the other numbers, the other the other types, like how it it must. There's different nuances of the gospel that would have different, or or some of the meanings of the gospel mm-hmm. would have different emphasis. Yes. if I was a different number. Yeah, you know, there's there's a scripture in Hebrews where it talks about the invitation. Uh, to the Sabbath rest, right? And then the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and divides soul and spirit and joy. And then it comes to this thing about inviting us into the presence of the great high priest who can empathize with us, right? Because he's experienced everything we've experienced, but at a greater intensity, right? And so that that word, it sounds like it's sympathy, but it's really empathizes with because he's both felt what we have to feel experienced and yet did not sin, he he can still lead us out of it. One of the great things about twelve step work, I'll never forget reading through um the ninth step when it when it talks about uh now now that I've made this list of all the people I've harmed in the eighth step mm-hmm. and become willing to make amends and then done the word to become willing mm-hmm. and then the ninth steps, okay now it's time to go do some of these. Right. Right. And and I'll, I'll never forget my sponsor having me read the essay in the 12 and 12 about that. And it says, by now, if we've done the work, not perfectly, but honestly, it has created an empathy in us that we didn't have for the people we harmed in the first place mm-hmm. when we go to them. And it's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I got a completely deeper understanding of other people. Now, I see why where I didn't have empathy before and how I hurt them. And going back through them, doing the work of making amends and forgiving, and that t- creates an empathy in me that I didn't have before. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I know uh, as we're talking about how the Enneagram relates to the 12 steps, uh, I, I know that the Enneagram can kind of show me what makes me tick. Uh, it can kind of help me to see where I'm healthy or unhealthy. But is, is it possible, because I know a lot of our listeners are in 12-step recovery programs, is it possible to use this maybe to help a sponsee? Would it be possible to use that in, in, as a tool? Uh, absolutely. Uh, and I've, I've done some of that. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think we said this a minute ago, but I'll repeat it again because the best teachers say this a lot. It's the Enneagram plus another path that's the most powerful. If you try to do Enneagram alone, you, you'll get a lot out of it, but it won't take you where God wants to take you. It's Enneagram plus, Enneagram plus 12-step, Enneagram plus contemplative prayer, Enneagram plus some type of a mentorship program or spiritual direction. It's that, the synergy from that is what really brings us alive. So uh, I think of it this way, Enneagram 
deeply personalizes a 12-step journey. It's not that it wasn't personal before, but this just adds a whole nother level of personalization and self-awareness. For instance, um, in some of the studies I've been doing and some of the work I've done, uh, the idea that you'll hit a step and why for some people is that step you slide right, you're good. I mean, you really do the work and and you don't oppose it. Why do some come up to that step that have been doing great all along and that one stops them? Right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes what we're figuring out is when we can figure out Enneagram type, that gives us a clue as to why that one is stumping them. Right. Does that make sense? It so does. that alone, that practicality alone can help a sponsor and a sponsee. But because my answer for that is always, oh, it's fear. It's fear. Well, sometimes it's not just fear. It may be the reason they're having fear or yeah. it could be a, a different reason altogether. Yeah, that's great. Have you ever heard this idea? And I've been guilty of saying it early in recovery. It's like somebody will come, they'll come a few times, they'll do something, and then they'll disappear. And somebody will say, oh, he just hadn't hit his bottom. Or, oh, he's just not ready to do the work. Well, yeah, maybe. But what I've discovered sometimes is there was something a lot more subtle that I didn't know about them that actually was getting in the way. And often the Enneagram work, if they're willing to do it and go deep with it, often that will reveal some of the subtlety that's hanging them up. Right? Right. Yeah. I was thinking, um, today I was reading through another one of the books that I was doing. I forget which one, but one of the types, maybe a four, you can help me. It's the one that's creative arts. Um, well, that type of stuff. yeah. And that's generally when people talk about four, they talk about that, but we got to be careful because all of the types can, can be creative and are and appear that way. And not all fours look like creatives. Well, well my point can be made yeah. without going into yeah. all that is yeah. that, and I don't know if this is right or wrong, um, but I was just thinking of possibly if this would work. And so you tell me, but you know, a lot of times I'll tell sponsors, a uh, gratitude list is a great, is a great tool to use. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe for that, that four who is more creative, artsy, you know, that type of thing, maybe drawing something out to be grateful about would be a better option than just listing something. Cause like mm-hmm. me, I'm a black and white thinker, yeah. you know, so it's this way or that way. Right. That, that's the point. There's the good one right there. Because uh, for instance, if you're somebody in, the body triad that is an instinctive person so again my wife's one eight nine ones instinctives i i'm not a particularly instinctive person she is an instinctive person so for them certain prayer types contemplative certain gratitude list and that type. if you can figure out a way to use something that catches them that might like you said right and it seems to be good for you uh, my sponsor has me do my gratitude by doing breath prayers to get into my body, okay, because I'm not an instinctive by nature. I'm a mind. Mm-hmm. We, we hadn't talked a lot. Probably would be helpful to talk about the centers of intelligence because when it comes to the Enneagram, we're going into it with this idea that these different types, that we all three have three types of intelligence, mind, the emotions, and, and the gut, okay? In Western Reformed Protestantism and in Western mind, generally we don't talk a lot about anything but the mind, we might talk about the heart and the emotions, but it's not on the same level. And we don't talk much about the body as being a way to collect data and, and have an intelligence to it, right? Mm-hmm. So for those that are in the, uh, say, for instance, in the, the body type, okay, it doesn't mean we're not, we're not all in, have some connection, but they tend to do the, it will help them often if they can ground this in something earthy. So for my wife, like getting on her hands and knees and d- digging in a garden, makes her grateful, mm-hmm. right? right? So that, 
and it doesn't mean that all ones would be that way, but what you hit yeah, on I is, wouldn't be one of those. right. <laughs> but what you hit on is perfect is personalizing how we do our spiritual work, right? We tend, I tend to, because again, I identify with that seven space without knowing it all my life. I've wanted to take in life through the mind and I want to control it through the mind. Okay. Well, that only works so far. Right. And so I've neglected my feeling center. And I've neglected my gut or my instinct. I've never known to, that there were two intelligence centers there, so I didn't know how to develop them. Right, right. So I'm, I'm kind of. If you think of a seesaw, and it's way up in the air on one end, that's the mind, and maybe in the middle is the maybe the the gut or the body, and at the bottom is the feeling. Mm-hmm. So that's how I've lived life. Right. So part of my spiritual work that my director has me doing is to rebalance that by thinking of creative and unique ways to do things like gratitude. Right. So he has me trying different things because for me, the, the trying to just think through it and write, I get too caught up in my mind. Right. right? I'm way too much into my mind. Right. So I have to experience it more through the body or maybe even the heart. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, this is probably enough to wrap us up for a show because um, I believe that we could talk on this forever. But um, Well, I'm a seven, so I could. I, 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 I know that you could. There is no doubt in my mind that you could, you, could carry, you could carry on another two hours. In fact, I don't know why you haven't written a book yet. And I am serious about that. Because I'm a, a seven. <laughs> I just talk. I mean, because you are a wealth of knowledge because I enjoy so much to sit here and talk to you. Um, Thank you. So I don't, I'm sure we'll probably have you back on and do something else with you later. But um, – you know, the, again, for our listeners to know you, Art Wimberly, yeah. um, Thrive Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if they want to look at the website, it's just www.thrivebham.com, thrivebham.com. That'll give you some feel for some of the things I do if they want to talk a little bit more. And uh, coming up in the fall, we'll do uh, the first, I think, in Birmingham, maybe, uh, the nine, what we'll call the nine and the 12, we will synergize the Enneagram and the 12 steps, uh, as an experience for men to go through together. And I'm hoping to do a female group later. Synergize. I mean, that just sounds powerful. It does. That's, it? that's a big word to yeah, use because yeah. we don't talk like that over here in McCullough. Well, I'm from Chelsea. So <laughs> <laughs> roll tide. Roll tide. Roll tide. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right, guys, man, let's go ahead and put this, this show in the books. Um, I'm Roger. I'm Jason. We're out of here. Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out SoberholicPodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Soberholics. Soberholics.